0: Good morning. There we go. All right. Good morning. Good to see you all. I'm Tim Rogers, uh, lead pastor here at Grace Point. Thank you for being with us this morning. Those watching online, thank you for joining us online. I have a question for you as we get started this morning. And if you are willing, I'd love for you to do a little bit of audience participation. Isn't that exciting? Everyone loves that, don't they? Um, Would you be willing uh, to turn to your neighbor in a second and answer the question, what is something that fills you up something that you enjoy something you look forward to something that when you're done you have a smile on your face or a little warmth in your soul or whatever it might be and it could be as simple as doing the morning wordle could be your grandkids could be a walk out on a beautiful sunny day like today it doesn't matter it doesn't matter to me but if you'd be interested in participating take a minute talk to your neighbor for a second something that fills you that you enjoy All right, I'm gonna pull that back together. Thank you very much. All right, can we get, we're gonna do a full on audience participation. Any quick responses? Uh, one or two words out there. What do we got? Cornbread. Corn. That's from our student ministries pastor who eats food. That's actually any food. Any food makes Kevin happy, uh, and of larger quantity, the better. That's good. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Don't talk again. Okay, no, I'm just good. Good. What else? Happy, having time, having. having time, also hearing aids help some people. <laughs> All right, having time, thank you, Mo. good, anybody else? What's that? The mountains, the mountains. and someone over here raise their hand, basketball, basketball. there we go, absolutely. I like that, <laughs> I'll remember that, I might be his coach too, so that, that may come in handy for you. That may come in handy for you. Good, good, good. Well, listen, there's more. And by the way, one group dynamic lesson that I think we all know: if you want to have a group be quiet, one thing to do is just ask them to share in in the group, and that gets everyone to be quiet right away. But listen, that's that's awesome. So if you if I could sit with you and, and ask you to talk more about the things that really bring you joy in life and fill you up, it would be a fun conversation. It would be really delightful to hear the things that that free you that kind of lift your soul a little bit and those are really good things and I hope that those are things that do indeed fill your day and fill your week one thing I think I've come to terms with is that we long for those things so much that that sometimes I don't know about you but sometimes I want to pursue the things that bring me fulfillment so much that sometimes I go awry in getting them (laughs) right like sometimes for me if I like um you know, you, you name it. If I like the thrill of athletic competition, sometimes I'll go so far that I'm willing to, to crush an opponent's will so that I'll win. Right Now, when they're five years old and we're playing sorry, like, that doesn't, that isn't good, right? Like, that doesn't, that goes too far, you know? Or if I, I want to make money, but I spend all my life just trying to pursue it and I neglect the other things that are important, I've taken what's a good thing and it's kind of gone awry right and if I, I want time but i spend all my time away from my responsibilities just trying to get away from all the things that i really should be doing then then that can go awry right so uh, by critiquing the things we enjoy i'm not saying we shouldn't enjoy them but i think we all know that sometimes because we are people who desire fulfillment so much there are some times that even the things that we very much enjoy can go awry or lead us down a path that isn't even helpful for us. Now, I want to share a clip with you, a video clip with you. These are um, some actors and artists, many of whom do not claim to be Christian. And so I have them up here because I think what they have to share, I want us to hear. They're talking in particular about the question about Does money and fame bring happiness? Now, I doubt that most of us walked into the room wondering about that. I think most of us would probably be able to say it doesn't. So I don't really care about the money and fame part of their question, as much as I just want you to hear some of their pain, because they've hit the mountaintop of their particular career field. They've reached the top. I want you to listen to what they say and how they talk about actually achieving the things that for many of them, for a lifetime, they've been dreaming about. Finally feeling full of life. And here's what it feels like for many of them. When How I Met Your Mother first went on the air, I ran into an actress that I uh, knew, and she said, are you just like so happy all the time? Why am I unhappy? Okay. Okay, sis stephanie gaga hybrid person (laughs) why are you unhappy why is it that you want to quit music and i remember thinking like oh that sitcom's coming like that sitcom it's coming it's coming and when i got it i mean i won't say it was a depression but you kind of go through a disappointment because it can't that fame or that thing didn't satisfy the way you thought it was going to satisfy i had bought into the not uncommon notion that when I taste success, when I get over there, then I'll be happy. But the strangest thing happened. As the show got more successful, I got more depressed i thought it would be good to be rich and famous it would be good to be the opposite of this it would be good to have stuff it'd be good to have money It'd be good to be invited to the party well i've been invited i've been in we're having this chat in a private swish members club in east london it's super cool there's bare brick walls everyone's double good looking but i've been inside now i've seen the other side of the looking glass it ain't worth it it's not good it don't feed your soul i still feel empty inside i had everything a man could want even then i had i was a millionaire I had a beautiful, beautiful women in my life, I had um, cars, a house, an incredible uh, a solid gold career, and, and a future. And yet, on a daily basis, I wanted to commit suicide. As a Beatle, we made it, and there was nothing to do. We had money, we had fame, and there was no joy. The media told me every day, and it's telling you every day what it is to be successful. So you've got MTV Cribs, you've got billionaires in front of your face, you have these these extrinsic, external goals that will say, oh, Tom Shadiac has arrived. He has the right house, the right car, he flies privately. And when I got there, it was empty. I was successful in the music business, I was successful in modeling, in television, in real estate. So I made all this money and I had all this success. And here I was going, Okay, I still don't feel any different. We are told that if we're beautiful, if we're skinny, if we're successful, famous, if we fit in, um, if everyone loves us, that we'll be happy. But that's not entirely true. I don't like uh, wasting my time spending days just shaking people's hands and smiling, taking selfies. Feels shallow to my existence. I have a lot more to offer than my image. I don't like being used to make people money. I uh, feel sad when I am overworked and that I've just become a money-making machine and that my passion and my creativity take a back seat. That makes me unhappy. If you are looking for fame to define you, then you will never be happy and you will always be searching for happiness and you will never find it in fame. I was surrounded by all this wealth and all this fame and all this power, and yet, They were all miserable, and I had never been more miserable. You know, I thought that all would be helped and healed and soothed by fame. Because when I get famous, I will will be less lonely, and I will be understood, and I will be loved, and that love will go in and heal any of the broken parts. And then I came to see that it was actually quite isolating. All right, I like the way Alanis Morissette puts it there at the end. I was hoping that when I reached fulfillment, love would come in and heal all the broken parts, and I would just feel full. And over and over and over again, you feel the weight of the emptiness of that space. It can be really depressing to hear that, to sit in that and to think, well, what does actually bring fulfillment? What actually does bring (laughs) the kind of peace and satisfaction and wholeness and fullness in life that we really are, are longing for? And I am at risk this morning of giving you a trite um, Bible answer to that question, but I want to be honest about it, Um, and I want to talk about it this morning, because in this series, what Jesus really does, we've been talking about not just Jesus as an image or a vibe or a look, but actually what is it that he really, really does, and we talked about him reconciling, redeeming, creating, therefore having authority. Today, when I ask the question, what is it that Jesus really does, or what does Jesus really do, what I want to make the case for today is that Jesus can actually bring us fullness. Jesus can actually bring us fullness. Now, standing alone, that can feel almost like a Hallmark card, like, well, that's nice in a vacuum. That can be a very trite answer to a very complex and burdensome question about pain and grief and struggle in life. But I believe it's true, and I want to take you to a passage of Scripture that I hope can reinforce that for you. And so if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn to this um, letter that we're in, in the series in Colossians. Colossians chapter 2 is where we're going to be. It's Colossians, if you don't own a Bible, there's one in the chair near you. It's our gift to you if you don't have one, or you can look it up on your phone. But Colossians chapter two, and and the guy who wrote this, Paul, he's actually in prison and he's writing to an early church in the town in the village of Colossae and trying to give them a sense of who Jesus is because they don't have any history or background in him. I mean, this is brand spanking new. And he talks today about fullness. That's where we're at, at least in this in this letter that he wrote and what Jesus does there. It's kind of a three-part movement this morning. So in Colossians chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 6. We're going to look at verses 6 and 7. And then we're going to look at verse 8. And then we'll look at verses 9 to 12. So let's start in verse 6 of Colossians chapter 2. Paul writes there, he says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith, as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Now, that is a beautiful vision of Christian growth. Verses 6 and 7 alone. This is kind of a, a, a picture perfect. No problems. Um, here's the vision of what could be. Look at it again. He said, just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Just continue. And then here's what you do. Verse 7, you get, get rooted. get rooted and then you're built up in him. And then therefore, as a result of that, you'll be strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And then you will overflow with thankfulness. And that's a beautiful picture. And wouldn't it be nice if life was just like that? That, you know, every day, every season, we could just root ourselves. We could feel strong in our day. We could feel strong in our relationships. We could feel strong in what we're doing and how we understand God and his work in our lives. And then we could just overflow with thankfulness because life is awesome because God is so good. And there's seasons where we feel that and sometimes there are seasons when we don't. And I have to ask the question, When Paul is writing this, is he writing this to um, help this early church know what what habits to form? So, so for example, when I I read this, what I've been taught and experienced most of my life is if you want to grow in Christ and be rooted in Him and strengthened in Him, what is it that you have to do to do that? It's a fair question. I'm always asking the what do I do question. Maybe you are too. When you ask that question to this text, what do you do? My answer has often been, well, I have to read my Bible consistently. I have to pray consistently. I need to be in church consistently. I need to to work on my character and study and disciplines and serve and mission and all that kind of thing. And there becomes a growing list of things to do. And many well-meaning people have kind of drilled that into me. And I've translated that to be, well, here's how you're strengthened and, and rooted you do these things, and this results in strong roots. But I have to ask the question, when Paul was writing this, did he intend to give people a to-do list of what to do to be rooted? I don't think he did. In fact, I think he is a step early before that. In other words, I think what he's speaking to is the values that might drive behavior. I think he's speaking to the worldview that might shape Our answer to what do we do? I don't think Paul is intending here to answer how do I get rooted. I think he's just trying to make the case that one must be rooted. Now, how is it that one is rooted or what happens? That we can get to, but he's not even there yet dictating what should be done. He's just saying, here's a value, young church, that I want you to have, that you need to be rooted and strengthened in Christ. What I appreciate about Paul is that he's very honest. All right, he's very honest. And he's going to talk about the reality that even though we need to be rooted and value that, there are times when we aren't rooted because life is hard. And we aren't rooted sometimes because we sometimes get distracted. Like things that are good, sometimes I make them ultimate, but they should only be good. I spend too much time pursuing some things that bring me fulfillment, and then I go awry. Sometimes I get off track, and that's where verse 8 comes in. So here's the ideal picture in verses 6 and 7. But verse 8 brings in a problem. All right, look at verse 8. Here's the problem, and Paul is honest with it. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Look at the opening part of that verse. He says, See to it. He said, See to it. In other words, this is a warning. This is a little, oh, hey, heads up, heads up. There's a speed bump upcoming. Heads up. You've got to slow down from 55 to 25 around that corner like see to it pay attention on your journey of life pay attention to this that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy uh, just want to speak to a couple different nuances of that he talks about captivity that sometimes in life we can become captive to another way of thinking i've had some experiences maybe you have had too where um, i've been criticized for trying to learn what people think who believe differently than me. A number of years ago, I was reading a book, and the author's name um, was someone who um, someone around me did not prefer, and they reported me to someone in our denomination. I had to go in and give an accounting of myself for why I was reading a particular author, because they were afraid that I was falling captive to different philosophies and teaching. They got scared. And there's a difference between learning, even from people you don't agree with, and becoming captive to something. I want to encourage you to keep learning and asking questions of your own faith. You don't fall into being a captive simply by learning what different people might think. You become captive by not being aware of what is happening to you and beginning to unplug or disconnect from Christ's sufficiency. And this idea of becoming captive means all of a sudden I'm waking up, I'm facing my day, I'm disconnected from, I am not a part of, I do not see the world the way that Christ intended me to see it. And he goes on here, he says, be careful not to become captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends, he clarifies, it depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of the world rather than on Christ. What is he saying here? So, for example, think of our opening video. There's this unspoken promise to these people who spoke this morning on the video that, that fame, um, wealth, will help define you. And they get there, and all of a sudden they realize, shoot, that's not true, right? That's a human tradition and elemental spiritual forces, meaning it's a lie. Okay? It's a lie. It's a lie of the evil one, the enemy, to try to get you and get me going in a wrong direction that promises fulfillment but never delivers it. So for me, I don't know about you, but years ago, maybe uh, 10, 12, 15 years ago, uh, I still, I think, boy, I'm trying to think of when I got my first cell phone. Does anyone have the time, a memory when they didn't have a cell phone around? I know it's it's hard, but believe it or not, there were that, that time. And my cell phone journey, if you were as old as I am or older, you know, our cell phone journey started with a big like brick, right? And we carried a brick around. And our first cell phone plan was like a 15-minute cell phone plan, truly, for $15 a month. And that was what we had. And then I, I transferred over to a flip phone, right? And some of you may still have a flip phone. I'm not down on the flip phone. I kind of like the simplicity of that. And now, now I have a different phone. But when I had the flip phone, the iPhone came out, okay? And I remember thinking, like, I will never have an iPhone. And I'm fine with that, like, because I didn't think I could ever afford it or even want it to get into that. But I also thought that would be kind of cool to have one. Like, wow, look at all that they can do. That would be kind of fun. Well, now, if you know me, you know that I now have an iPhone. If you ask me, is your life any more fulfilled now than when you had a flip phone? No, not from the phone. That which seems like it could be cool because it's out there and it's something to get, I I get it. And then years later, I look back and I ask the question, did that actually bring me any kind of true fulfillment? And the answer really is, is no. And in fact, it can be a complete distraction and a waste of my energy. I'm not against iPhones, still enjoy it, but I'm just saying it doesn't deliver the level of fulfillment that sometimes it can promise. And so these are the kinds of things, this hollow and deceptive philosophy where we wake up and we're like, you know what we need to do? We need fame and wealth. That's what I need. Or even, take it the other way. You know what I need? I need not to have fame and wealth. That's another philosophy. I mean, let me get out of here and let me just go away. I'm going to go into the wilderness and be away from people because that will bring me fulfillment. That's what I need. Oh, maybe I'm going to be, like, I'm going to really work on being the most beautiful. I'm going to be the strongest. I'm going to be the one who has the greatest kids. I'm going to be the one who's the greatest mom. I'm going to be the one who's the greatest dad. I'm going to be the greatest Christian. I'm going to be the one who, and I'm starting to build a future built based on a hollow and deceptive promise that sometime if you get there if you get there you will find fulfillment you'll find it and it becomes this captivity that we don't always know that we wake up and we are are in so Paul warns the church early he's like see to it see to it pay attention on your way watch the warning sign see the curve in the road warning that you don't get taken captive by hollow and deceptive philosophies that depend on human tradition. What do you do instead? Let's get practical with this. Verses 9 to 12. There's implications for Christ's fullness, and let's look at it in verses 9 to 12. He says, for for in Christ all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now there was a lot a lot there. Let's take it one block at a time. Look at verse 9 and the beginning of verse 10 with me again. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. I want you to imagine it this way if you can as if Christ is in the center, and and God the Father, who I believe is co-equal with Christ the Son, uh, they share equality in the Trinity. Okay, but all the fullness of God resides in Christ. So there's a fullness to Christ, fullness of humanity and fullness of deity in Christ. And then through faith in Christ, we become, as Paul puts it here, and in Christ you have been brought or drawn in to fullness. You've been brought in through faith in Christ. It's as if we are drawn in, and why do we find fullness in Christ? Because God is our creator. What distinguishes us as human, the marker of humanity, is the image of God in man. That's what distinguishes us primarily as human, is our image that God made us. And so as image bearers of God, our creator through Christ draws us in, and we're now in a relationship with Christ in which we are brought to fullness because we reconnect if you will with our creator and we have a relationship with our maker that brings a fullness that nothing else can bring now what does that look like there's three implications and i just read them three implications of what that actually looks like here's the question what is fullness then from jesus there's three things that paul says right here and let's look at him at the end of verse 10 he puts it this way this is number one he said he is the head." Over every power and authority. What does this fullness mean? That he is the head of every power and authority. Here's what it means. That he is the highest authority. Here's why this is important. If you've ever seen a company in crisis or a nation in crisis or your family in crisis, one of the first jobs of a leader is to define reality. You have to define reality and find your North Star. Okay, Twitter is going through this right now. Who knows where that's going to go, right? But we have to define reality and find a North Star. In other words, we need something to anchor in in this crisis. We need a truth. We need an authority that will guide us and lead us if you're trying to figure out what love is, if you're trying to figure out what beauty is, if you're trying to figure out what strength looks like, if you're trying to figure out what does meaning and fulfillment actually mean, how do I get significance? I feel like a failure, right? Like I've been through some things in my past and people are judging me for them and I don't know where to turn and what to do. How can I get my mind around what is true in this world about all of these things? And this is where Paul gives us the gift of the North Star of Christ. Jesus said, on the Sermon of the Mount, he said, you have heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. And over and over again, he is trying to give us this heads up that when you're in a crisis and you're not sure what to do or how to see the world, how to see your role as grandparents, as children, as, as a you know, single mom or dad, look to Christ because he is the highest authority. He defines what is love, what is light, what is beauty, what is strength, what is significance. He defines it. That is a gift because when you're in a crisis, you need a north star. This is a matter of fullness. So the second thing that he does is this. Verse 11, in him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. That sounds weird. What does that mean? Okay, that sounds really strange. What in the world is going on there? Okay, when's the last time you had a conversation about circumcision with a friend? Don't raise your hand on that one, okay? Because there's probably very few hands that would be raised. Here's what I think that means, that he frees us from ourselves. Why am I saying that? He frees us from ourselves. This is, I think, a part of Christ's fullness. Look at the last part of verse 11. He says, your whole self was ruled by the flesh. It was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. It's as if there's a throne room, if you will, in your heart, okay? And if you or me are sitting on it, Christ removes us from that seat and says, I am now going to be here, and get this, this is so important, I am going to be your judge. Now, we often, if not regularly, if not daily, judge ourselves. You ever say to yourself or to your spouse or your friend, I'm my worst critic, right? I'm hardest on myself, because you probably are you go to bed with yourself every night. You know what no one else knows about you. And you hate the parts of you that no one else knows that you can't change that are dark or ugly or shameful. And someone even close to you who loves you may not even know that that exists. And you and I, we judge ourselves so ruthlessly. Yeah, I failed again. Yep. Man, I'm never going to quite measure up. Yep, that isn't quite going to work out the way I thought. Man, oh, I can't believe I did that again. Thought that again, said that again. And we are our worst critic. We absolutely are. And that is what we tend to do. And the reason sometimes we perform and raise up and are driven and move forward and have success is because we're working out of a deficit of all of our weakness and all of our failure that we're trying to avoid by being good and doing a great job. But that's when we sit on the throne. And so what Christ does in his fullness is he says, I'm going to take you from that. I'm going to free you from the the tyranny of being your own judge. This is what he says. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. As if Christ now says, I'm your judge. Now tell me about your day. Tell me again why you think you're not beautiful. Tell me again why you think that if you're successful in your sport, in your activity, With your family tell me again why you think that's going to bring you value when I've already declared that you are immeasurably valuable where does fullness come from right it comes from being able to see that Christ has removed us from the judge seat in our own heart in our own mind he frees us from ourselves the third thing he does here is in verse 12 having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Again, kind of confusing. Here's what I think I would say about that, that. The third thing is that he unites us with the power of God. What does that mean? He unites us with the power of God. For example, he takes us. So this baptism idea, right? This baptism, you're buried with him in baptism in which you're raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Our our previous version, I just mentioned some of it, our previous version of of beauty, of strength, of giftedness, of talent, when we work on that on our own, we have a picture of what could be. We have a picture of what could be. And then all of a sudden, we we submit that to God, if you will, and Christ says, let me take that, and let me allow that to die, and let me allow it to come back to life in a different form. All right? Let me put this in in a, a cool little chart format if I can. All right, this is going to be exciting, trust me. Here's what happens. Sometimes in life, we chase fulfillment. I might chase, and you can name this for yourself, whatever whatever your fulfillment is. It could be a grandchildren. It could be success in your career. It could be a reputation. It could be, um, you know, strength, beauty, ability, whatever it might be. Like, I'm going to chase something, like I want something because I think that will bring me fulfillment. And, and what we do with that is then over time, when we chase it on our own, we run into fatigue or failure like we just can't keep it up if it's just on our own i just can't keep it up this is the testimony of the video we saw earlier all right i chased it and all of a sudden i got to the end and i got there and it's like that's it like that, that's all i got now at that point we have a couple different ways to go and we have a couple different paths to choose if we choose the path on our left here's where we go to try harder it's your fault you big dummy shouldn't have done that should have acted differently. should have thought differently. should have been more disciplined. Should have whatever. Should have whatever. Should have whatever. I should have differently. And so, I'm going to try harder. And so, what am I going to try harder to do? To chase fulfillment. Right? Like, I'm going to get a different boyfriend next time. I'm going to dress differently next time. I'm going to lose more weight next time. I'm going to do whatever I need to do next time. I'm going to, going to chase this again. And we see this cycle going over and over and over again. And we get stuck and captive to hollow and deceptive philosophies or to the right and here's the other piece and here's what paul is introducing after you experience that fatigue and failure of looking in the mirror and finding out actually i'm never going to be quite as good as i hoped i could be what if i encounter christ what if in that encounter with christ he redefines for me, resurrects for me connects me with the power of god where all of a sudden meaning identity significance belonging agency are all reestablished, and i find an encounter with christ that redefines all of the things that i thought were going to be awesome are redone or recast in Christ, and then what do I experience? I experience fulfillment. I experience a higher level of fulfillment that on my own I never could have gotten, that on my own would only have ever led to fatigue and failure, and this is where the north star of Christ, he is the head of all things, all authority, all power. He takes us off the throne, and he says to us, I'm going to connect you with the power of God, because you're made to know God as your creator, Therefore, you can experience fulfillment, a kind and a quality of which on your own will only lead you to fatigue and only lead you to exhaustion. But if you encounter Christ, you can experience fulfillment. Now, it would be awesome if life just stopped there and we lived up in that little corner all the time. Now, here's my experience with life, that there's a dotted line that takes me over here to a doubt or loss of focus. Adversity, pain can lead you here. And then what do I do sometimes? I chase fulfillment. I go back to start the whole thing all over again. And this chart, copyrighted by Tim Rogers here on Sunday morning, whatever the date is this week, this chart, this explains in some ways what I think Paul is trying to explain, that life is going to be full of these circles, if you will, and what is the most important thing in all of this as doubt or loss of focus invites you back, like, Hey, I know you went to that retreat one time. You had a spiritual high. You were on a mission trip one time, weren't you? It was amazing. Oh, someone broke up with you and through your pain, you committed your whole life to Christ. You're never turning back. But now, look at you now. Look at you now. Look at you now. You weren't nearly as committed as you were after that retreat. You weren't nearly as committed as you were after that mission trip. You weren't nearly as committed now. You said you were a year ago or two or five. Look at you. Look at you. Get back on your throne. Judge yourself. Doubt loss of focus. What's most important in all of this diagram? It's simply this, it's encountering Christ. Encountering Christ changed this, changes the whole equation. Encountering Christ is what Paul invites the early church to, to say, when you encounter Christ, you can experience a kind of fullness that you were made to experience because you're made in the image of God. And in Christ, all the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. And when we have faith in Christ, we are brought in by Christ to experience this kind of fullness. And so I have these questions on the back end that I want to encourage you to, to consider asking. And that is this. Number one, a couple questions. Is there anything right now holding you captive? Is there anything holding you captive that you know you're trying hard, you're working hard? Maybe even some of you are here today because this is part of your penance. You're paying for it. And God, I hope you see that I'm being faithful and coming to church. I hope you see that I'm trying. I'm trying, all right? I'm trying. I don't know what you want me to do, but I'm trying. I'm even showing up at church, all right? I'm trying. Is there anything holding you captive that says, oh, the reason that you are experiencing pain and loss right now, it's your your own fault. You're a failure, that's why. If you wouldn't act like that, you wouldn't be where you are. Anything you're being held captive to, because that's not Christ. Condemnation doesn't come from Christ. Romans 8 talks clearly about that. Romans 8, 1. We are free from condemnation through faith in Christ. Free from condemnation. Anything holding you captive. Number two, who judges you at the end of the day? Right? When you lay your head down on the pillow at night, who judges you? Who judges you? Is it, is it you or is it Christ? If it's, if it's Christ through the fullness of God, you don't hear condemnation. You hear kindness and mercy and love and patience and grace in that space. And yes, there are things that you might need to correct, no problem, no problem. There are times when I'm incredibly short with people, I'm rude, I'm impatient. There are times when I'm critical and I shouldn't be. And There's all kinds of ways that I annoy and frustrate people. I have a long line of people after the service talking about that with me, all right? I know that's true. Now, after I see that I failed, what comes next? What comes next? This is where the kindness and mercy of God comes in and says, listen, your value, your value isn't based on your awesomeness. Is based on your identity in Christ. All right. Who judges you at the end of the day? And this question here. What fullness might you find if you told yourself the gospel story a few times a week? Can you imagine what that would be like for you? If encountering Christ is the most important part of that little amazing little diagram I drew, can you imagine what it would be like for you? And I might wonder for you out loud what kind of fullness might you experience if when you wake up tomorrow morning, or Tuesday, or Wednesday, As a part of your morning routine, you might just tell yourself the gospel again, that you might encounter Christ again in the middle of your loss, in the middle of your grief, in the middle of your joy, in the middle of your striving, in the middle of your effort to be amazing. If you encounter Christ, if you encounter Christ, if you tell yourself the story of the gospel again, so that you can experience a kind of fulfillment that comes from Christ that doesn't come from my or your efforts. So what does Jesus really do? (laughs) What does Jesus really do? At the beginning, I just put it this way. Jesus brings us fullness. It's not just a trite phrase for me. He does it in three ways. He brings us authority. He helps establish what is true in a North Star. Right? This is what he does. He removes me from my throne room, saves me from the judgment of myself. Right? And then he baptizes us. In other words, he, renew, he reconnects us with the power of God that our vision of fullness can be given new life, real meaning. All right. Now, I might ask you, what would it look like for you to encounter Christ? over and over and over and over and over again so that on the journey of life you can see to it you can watch out be careful of that corner You turn the corner into condemnation be careful when you turn the corner into shame be careful when you turn the corner into to sadness and people and you're your own worst critic be careful when you be careful because Christ has saved you from yourself from the judgment of yourself he's brought you into fullness what would it look like for you to share the gospel even with yourself my hope for you is you experience a fullness not just from a humanistic level. I don't want you just to be happy for the sake of being happy. I want you to experience the fullness of your humanity that Christ has made us to experience. There's a richness and a depth to that. And that's what I think Christ really does. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, I thank you for the time together this morning. There's a lot in this passage about fullness and completeness. And there's a lot that we can tend to do on our own to try to find it and secure it. So I pray that you would help us to put our striving and our energies in proper perspective, not that we would stop striving or or settle for mediocrity or failure. That's not the point. The point is that we would encounter you in the middle of our efforts so that our efforts are properly oriented that our efforts aren't efforts to save ourselves or to lead us to find our own fulfillment in the work of our hands, that we don't get stuck in that cycle of fatigue, trying harder, chasing, fatigue, trying harder, chasing, but that we can experience you in the middle of all of that. So Father, we love you, we thank you, the time that we could share this morning. We thank you for this ancient letter that we have the opportunity still to learn from and to learn about your heart in the middle of it. Give us courage to encounter you on a daily basis, we pray in Jesus' name.